Everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here. If you would, go ahead and find your seats. That would be much appreciated. Thank you for being here. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at New Life Church. You are currently sitting in one of our four worship services this morning in one of three locations. So I get the unique privilege today of uh, being able to preach and share this wonderful message uh, that God's brought to us to be able to celebrate our one-year anniversary out in North Platte. So I'm saying a big hello to all of you guys that are out in North Platte right now. Worshiping, we're proud of you. We, we are proud of what God is doing out in North Platte. We are equally as proud of what God's doing right here in Kearney. Lives are being transformed. People are being changed. And we've got a, uh, we have another venue. We have another location. We call it The Venue. It's down in the gym, and that place is probably packed out again today. Uh, they've just been seeing record numbers of people attending there in the last few weeks. So thank you guys for being here with us as well. Uh, this is an exciting, exciting day. Uh, but today I'm going to kind of flip that celebration on its head for a moment because today I want to talk to you as we continue our teaching series, I Am Second. I want to discuss how we can live second so Jesus can live first by trusting God with your least. See, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a, <clears throat> like a, a different concept. My least, God, God I, I thought God wants... He wants my best. Well, of course he wants your best. But sometimes what you consider to be your least, God considers to be a treasure. Have you ever thrown anything away that you wish that uh, maybe you would have kept? <clears throat> I'm sure that's happened to you. What about this? Are any of you guys the kind of people that you, you look through the refrigerator and you see just a little bit of like, oh, there's just a little jelly left in that thing. Let's throw that away. Or there's just a little milk in that carton. Let's just throw that away. Or worse yet... And maybe this might be personal. You let's have to decipher it for yourself. When there's one cookie left in that thing and in the container, and then your wife throws it away. And she's like, well, there was just one cookie. I'm like, one cookie? Man, you know how long I can live off of one cookie? Like three seconds. Come on. So sometimes we look at things and we go, there's just a little bit there. We're just going to throw it away. But other times, something that's just a little has incredible value to it. Such as, what if you had a little piece of gold? What if you had a little diamond? Would you so easily throw that away? If you would, please see me. I want to help you. (laughs) I want to help you make sure you don't waste that. Um, But on the flip side of it, right? We take pennies now and we we just throw them at things to see if we can hit them. Like, you see that pole over there? I just walked out of the store. I got it. Good. I mean, pennies are just laying everywhere. So certain things have great value. Other things to us on this earth have little value. And if you really want to drive this point home clearly, then just go garage sailing. It, garage sales are where we take things that have no value to us anymore and we put them out on our driveway and other people come by, they slam their brakes on, they're drooling at their mouth because what was your junk that you had no value for is now their treasure. Now, it's one thing to view this from an earthly perspective. It's another thing when we start looking at it from a spiritual perspective. And when we look at our lives and we devalue the things we, can, we consider things in our lives to be the least. They very well might be the things that God sees as a treasure. Like we tend to look at our life and wonder, 
God, what do I have to offer to you? You know, I'm not a preacher. I haven't been called into ministry. I mean, can you, God, God, look at my life. Look at all the things that are all screwed up in it. What do I have to offer to you? It must be the least of all the people that are here. I must be like the worst. I must just be squeaking in the doors. I'm surprised you haven't sent lightning to blow the place up yet because I'm here. And God looks at your life and he goes, I see a treasure. You might, you might also, you might look at your finances and go, with such a large church and three locations, two campuses, four services, you know, what does it matter? The offering plate just can pass me right by. I mean, I only make a few dollars. If I even tithed on that, it's like $50 or it's $100 a month. I mean, what does it really matter? It's just going to be a drop in the bucket, right? But God looks at it and he goes, but that's a treasure, What we consider to be a least, God considers to be something that's a treasure. You might say, I don't know enough about God. I don't have enough knowledge about him. I haven't grown in my relationship with him enough for God to really have any purpose on using me. But I'm telling you, God looks at your life and he sees a treasure. And today, I want to help you understand How when we devalue our lives and we devalue portions of our lives and concepts of our lives and we devalue us, God's looking at us as a treasure that he wants to use in a powerful way. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, there is a woman that society had devalued called a widow. She's given no name, so we had to give her a name. The Bible just refers to her as a widow, and she's living in a horrific time period. She's gone through a lot. In our society, she would not only just be the least, she'd be the least of the least. But God looks at her and sees something that is a treasure and decides to use her in that way. So as as par for this teaching series, we're not going to read all of that scripture. We're going to give it to you in a monologue, dramatized version. So please listen carefully as someone from our drama team comes to drive home the powerful scripture and the story that's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me tell you a story about hope. You see, God uses the most unlikely of places and the most unlikely of people to anchor hope in the hearts of the hopeless in the most unlikely of ways. If he sees me, a widow, Eliana, in the middle of one of the worst famines the world has ever seen, he sees and cares about you too. He holds hearts in his hands and drenches them. In hope. But you see, I am not who I was when I took my first step. No, I was a woman bitter with the pain of losing my husband and most of my family. The famine had taken them all from me. To be burying my husband at my age and my mother and my father and all of my children except for one to be burying my dreams. My son was all I had left to live for. To take care of him was my main purpose. But we were well on our way to meeting our families and death. 
I wanted to scream out to the gods, but do you think they heard me? No, we were all alone. It wasn't supposed to be happening like this. We weren't supposed to be dying. I'd heard this story about this man, this prophet man, Elijah, who was living outside of town. His God had commanded the ravens to feed him. Can you believe that? That is how desperate we were. (laughs) That we were talking about a man living in the wilderness, being fed by birds. Well, his God had told him to come to my city. He said, go at once and stay there, for I have commanded a widow to supply you with food. Well, little did I know that that widow was me. Like I said, unlikely places and unlikely people. Well, I was resolved to take care of my son the best way I knew how. And we had just a handful of flour and a few drops of oil to make our last meal. So I went outside the city gates to gather some sticks to make a fire. And there was this man, this unlikely man, who said to me, woman, get me a drink of water. (laughs) And I thought, woman? Okay, sure, I'll get you a drink of water. And then, as I turned to go, he said, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. (laughs) Well, anger just welled up inside of me. Couldn't he see the plight I was in? And I turned to him and I said bitterly, Sir, as surely as your God lives, I do not have so much as a biscuit to my name. I have a handful of flour and a few drops of oil to make the last meal for my son and myself. You have caught me out here scrounging together sticks to make a fire. And you know what he said to me? Don't worry about anything. Go ahead and make your meal, but first... Bring me a piece of bread. Then you can make a meal with what's left for you and your son. For the word of the God of Israel is that the flour will not run out and the oil will not run dry until God sends rain to end this drought. (laughs) Well, that sounded like foolishness. I thought he was crazy. But there was just part of me that so badly wanted to have hope. And I thought, why not? What have I got to lose at this point? My heart and my soul were just as dry and barren as that land in front of me. And you know what? He was right. In the middle of the worst famine, our bellies were nourished because we obeyed his commands. We listened to his God. In those months that I took care of Elijah and my son, hope was planted in my heart. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, God really does see me. And maybe he really does care. But after all that had been taken from me, how could he do that? And I wondered, what if, what if? What if he takes the one thing from me that I still have that I love? I mean, could this God free me, and I mean really free me, 
from those chains that were holding me down, from my poverty and my doubt and my hopelessness. But I kept thinking about his words that first day we met, but first, when everything inside of me was crying out to meet my son's needs and my needs, he said, but first, bring me a piece of bread. Well, I learned that God was teaching me to put him first, to put my hope and my trust in him. And day after day, as we were nourished, we saw those miracles happen. There was always just enough flour and just enough oil for one more meal. God kept his promise. And then the other shoe dropped. It had been several months, but my son became ill. And no matter what I tried or what I did, he got sicker and sicker until he stopped breathing. And I held him and I cried out to God and I said, why would you do this to me? Why would you give me a few more months with him just to take him from me now? And I turned to Elijah and I said, why have you come here in the first place? To expose my sins and kill my son? Why am I being punished? And Elijah held out his arms and said, give me your son. And he carried him up to the loft where he had been staying. And all I could do was sit at the bottom and weep. But there was one little sliver of hope. Because you see, I had been living in the worst hunger I could ever imagine. And yet Elijah's God had provided. There was always enough flour and enough oil for one more meal. Could his God really save my son? And I heard Elijah. I heard him cry out, God, my God, why have you brought this upon this widow who's opened her home to me? Why have you taken her son from her? And he told me that he stretched himself out three times completely over my son. And I heard him pray with all his might, my God, my God, return life to this boy. And he picked up my son and brought him down to me. And he placed him in my arms and he said, here is your son, alive. And I didn't know what else to do. I just looked up at him and I said, surely I see it now. You are a prophet of God. For when you speak, God speaks. Well, that's been about a year ago, and Elijah's moved on to a new town, and life for us is much the same. I am still a widow, and we are still living in one of the worst famines. But my God, my God, has given me hope. I've learned to trust him. I've learned to put my hope in him. I've realized that he sees me. He sees the mundane things in my life, He sees the details both big and small. And I've learned to stop praying for an escape because he is there. I've learned that he will provide. Everything I need is from him. He is enough for me.
So no matter what happened in my past or what happens in my future, I will put my hope in him. My name is Eliana, and I am second. What a beautiful, dramatized version of that passage. I would encourage all of you to go home and take your Bible and read that story and let it come alive with some of this verbiage and some of this imagery that was so craftily put inside um, of this monologue to help you really grasp and understand the dynamics that were taking place at this very moment when this, with this widow, who not only is the widow, but she's living in the famine, And she's in the famine and she's down to her very last meal with the very least of flour and the very least of oil. And then she has to somehow make this meal for the prophet, not even for herself, but she's down to the bottom of the barrel. This is the least of the least of the least. I'm making the last meal and then we're going to die. And we all can relate with this woman in one way or another. We think and we look at our lives And we consider and devalue ourselves lower than what what God really sees us at. We look at our lives and we wonder to ourselves, what difference can I make? How can my life ever make a difference? And this widow came to grips with the understanding of how she she ended up being used by God and how she ended up finding God. I want to help you do that today as well with your lease, with the little that you have. You know, you're one person on a planet full of 7 billion plus people. You're one person on a planet filled with 7 billion plus people that's in a solar system with other planets. That that solar system sits inside of a galaxy with other suns and other planets. That sits inside of a universe with other galaxies that have solar systems with planets and have planets that have suns and so forth and so on. The matter that makes up the universe is a massive amount of matter. Try to weigh it. Try to put it on a scale and try to weigh the matter in which God created. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that matter, here is earth with life on it that God created. If you looked at life through the telescope, you may not even be able to find yourself. But God sees you. And if you're going to trust God with your least, there's a few things out of this story that I want to help you understand. The first thing is this. If you're going to trust God with your least, then you've got to believe that God commands your least. That's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17. Go, go at once to Zarephath of of Zidon and stay there. This is God speaking, right? This is God speaking to Elijah. And God says, I, I have done something unique, Elijah. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply your food. I've commanded her. Commanded her. Go back and read Go back and read 1 Kings chapter 17. You're not going to find anywhere in there where this woman, this widow, senses or feels or even starts to interpret a dream or anything. She doesn't ever even realize God commanded her. She's just going about her daily daily work. But God's saying, I commanded her. I commanded her to serve you. Now, did she have a choice? Yes, she had a choice. Just like you have a choice. Did you realize that God's commanding all of humanity to serve him? 
Because the Bible says that God desires that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. God's commanded for all of humanity, but do you have the choice of whether you're going to follow him or not? Sure you do. God's commanding things in your life right now. And what God's interested in for you and me is will we follow his command or will we take our own selfish, self-centered abilities and make decisions that are just going to please us? God's wondering, when you look at your life and you look at the least of what you have, will you still trust me with it? And will you serve me with a humbled heart, with a generous heart, with a heart that just says, God, I am nothing, but with you, all things are possible. God, I am nothing, that from me comes wicked and vile things. But when your spirit lives in me and your spirit is controlling my life and leading my life, great things can happen. That truly greater is Christ who is in me than he who is in the world. And the woman had to come to a point where she was willing to be obedient. But think with me for a moment. She didn't recognize at that time frame that she was being commanded by God. But what if she had been? How would that have changed her value and her appreciation for the simple assignment of making the prophet the meal? Wouldn't it radically have changed if she could have known? Whoa, God. I had a dream. There was a prophet. I was picking up sticks. He came. I made a meal for him, and you did radical things. She might have had a greater value and appreciation for it. So one of the things I love about science, one of the things I love about, you know, looking at life through a scientific lens is that many times I get to glean and understand things that I might not have understood or even have the ability to see. Let me give you an example. Let's go back many years to when you first learned about the the law of gravity, Now, before you learned about the law of gravity, gravity was not your friend. Because before I learned about the law of gravity, I tried to jump off my parents' roof. And the law of gravity kicked in. And that hurt. Before I learned about the law of gravity, I fell off my bike many times. And I was upset at my bike for wrecking me. I was upset at my bike for giving me these scrapes and scars. When really, you know, it was operator error and the law of gravity at work. But when you do begin to learn about the law of gravity, you have to end up with a higher value and appreciation for it. Because think with me about what life would be like on planet Earth without gravity. Well, some of you are thinking right now, because you're that that sci-fi person, and you're like, dude, it'd be totally cool. We would hop in this little, you know, jet thing and fly around all that. It would be amazing. Yeah, but let's say that sci-fi doesn't exist. And you, and you live where you live and you have to get to church. So you have to put on your anti-gravity suit with each boot that weighs 200 pounds to keep you on the ground. And this would be your journey to church. You'd have to start on Wednesday. And just think, after church, church gets out Sunday, somewhere around noon, now you have to make your way to the restaurant. All right, you get there and you order and you're like, you know what I'm hungry for? I've been eating peanut butter and jellies all week. I'm going to treat myself to prime rib. And the waitress comes out two hours later. And she takes the prime rib and she puts it in front of you. And it looks like toothpaste. You squeeze it out and you're all there. And here's you with your nice elegance and eating. 
uh, I just had to do that again. I mean, because how often do you get to do that at church? I mean, come on. You're like, pass me something to drink. Right? Suck it in the straw. So getting around would be horrible. Eating would be horrible. This thing about sleeping. It would be a Velcro bed. This is comfortable, honey. Love you. Good night. May not be as much snoring, maybe, right? Because we don't have the same kind of pressure on the chest, so that might be good. Might get better sleep. Who knows? For some of you, like my wife, um, that has to put up with me. But, you know, your hair, some of you guys really love your hair, but it's not going to look like what it does right now. (laughs) Am I beautiful today? (laughs) And men are just going to have to go, yes, honey. Yes, you are. Your hair floats beautifully today. Life on this earth without gravity. But when you understand its properties, it holds us here. It allows us to enjoy incredible meals. It allows you to have amazingly looking good hair, ladies. And men, we're trying to give it our best. It allows us to enjoy a lot of things. You can appreciate it because you understood it. If this woman could have understood that God had commanded her, she would have appreciated it and she would have valued that whole situation way differently. But see, that's what's different between you and the woman. Today, you can understand God does speak. God is commanding. Many of you are believers. This woman at that moment wasn't even a believer in God. Many of you have put your faith and your hope in Christ You can have the choice to value when God's commanding even your least if you'll begin to trust him with it. And for some of you, you're still searching to see if Jesus really is the reason for, you know, why I should live and who I should follow. And I praise God for you. Thank you for being here at New Life. Keep coming. Keep hearing God's word. Let your heart be softened to what God's doing. But as as you recognize it, you're going to understand that even in the point of being absent from a relationship with God, God still is throwing out his commands that he wants you to follow him. Today, I want you to think with me, what is, if you had to write down on a piece of paper, what is your least? What is that? What is your least? Is it finances? Is it education? Is it your past? What is it? Is it your sin? What's your least? Because whatever your least is, God has an antidote that turns it into a treasure. And he wants you to trust him with that. Because he's already commanded, even your least, to become something that can be used for him in his kingdom. Now, if you want to trust God with your least, then there's maybe another thing I want us to consider from this passage. And that is, we have to be willing to give it all. You know, when Elijah came and he found her while she's picking up sticks. He says, to, he says to her, basically, give me something to drink. She goes, sure. Then he goes, oh, by the way, I forgot something. Can you also bring me a piece of bread? And then she spun around and stared at him with that mother's type of an eye. Like, what planet did you come from? Do you know what's going on here? And he says to her, well, I know you're getting ready to make that last meal, and you and your son are going to die. Wow. You know, prophet full of compassion. Wow, I feel bad for you. Would you please go make the, make the bread and just give it to me? What kind of church would we have if me, the pastor, said to you, hey, um, take me on your vacation. Well, we were going we to buy a vacation 
It was going to be a beautiful vacation to the Mediterranean on a cruise ship for nine days. It's going to be amazing. I go, hey, it's okay. Go ahead. Make your plans. Just put my name on your tickets. Hey, buy me a car. Well, pastor, I was getting ready to go buy a car. I was going to buy a BMW, you know, maybe like an X5 series or, you know, something like that. Uh, I don't know what I was going to buy, but I was going to buy something. I go, hey, good. Keep your plans. Do that. Uh, when, when, you, when you get done, you know, filling out the papers, just drive the car over to my house and just drop the keys off. You can go ahead and make the payments. Did that be a church you would attend very long? I don't think so. But in essence, that's what the prophet does. I know you're down and out and you got nothing, but give it all to me. Give it all to me. And with that, he also says these words, which are powerful. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Elijah, speaking to the widow. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Then watch what she does. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was a promise there. Something happened when she heard that promise. Something changed inside of her heart. And she was able to say, okay, I'm going to give it all. Even though I don't understand it. Even though I can't figure it all out. Even though I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to give you the last meal. What does it matter anyways? We were going to die. If you get the last bite, I get the last bite. Does it really matter after all this struggle? Something in there, she comes to the grips and she goes, I'm willing to give it all. When you consider what your least is, it might feel like it's little. It might feel like it's insignificant. It might feel like it's powerful. However, it's big to God. It's big to God. See, your responsibility and my responsibility is this. Give what we have and give it all to God. And what's God's responsibility? Let God do something significant with it. It's like the boy in in the New Testament where Jesus is preaching to this large crowd of 5,000 plus people. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this crowd is very hungry. You know, we've got them all the way over here. There are no restaurants. There's no village close by. You know, we're going to have to do something with this crowd. Either let them go or feed them. And Jesus says, go through the crowd and see what kind of food is out there. Now, guess what happened? God commanded a meal to be there already. In a little boy with a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish. And that's what the disciples find and they bring back to Jesus. Now, I'm thinking to myself, as the disciples are walking around and they're going, hey, guys, we're just wondering to know, does anybody have any food? And they're asking and they're asking and everyone's going, no, we didn't bring anything. No, we didn't bring anything. And this little boy, they come to the little boy, hey, do you have any food? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. You know, my mom packed this meal for me. What are you guys, what are you guys thinking, man? He goes, hey, we need it because we got to feed all these people. Are you crazy? I got only five pieces of bread and two fish. This is going to do nothing. You know, what do you, what do you mean? This is, this is minor. But God had commanded the meal to be there because God had a plan beyond what the boy understood. And somehow the little boy un, unlatches his grip willingly or with the help of a couple of disciples. I don't know. But he turns over the meal. They bring it to Jesus. And Jesus stares at thousands of people and goes, Everybody! We got a plan. 
It's right here in this little sack. Everyone's going to get fed today. And he starts breaking the pieces of the insignificant bread, filling up baskets that go out and they feed the 5,000 plus the women and children so much so that there's 12 basketfuls left over. And he takes the fish and he breaks it into pieces. And this little insignificant small piece of fish that wasn't going to do anything for anybody, it could have probably just been left as trash on the road someplace, ends up turning into the multitudes that feed the thousands. That's what God means when he says, you give me the insignificant and you give it all to me because I have a plan that you can't figure out right now. And that's with your life. That's what God's doing. still working that same miracle. But he's waiting for people to trust him with the least. The thing you think is insignificant. A while back, almost 24 months ago now, we were challenged with, um, with an opportunity to go plant this church in North Platte. We told you we would share more about that with you. Uh, so today we're celebrating one year um, open. I'm so excited for those in North Platte. It's, a, it's just a blast today. They've got some big barbecue and street party planned. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I'm going to be out there in just a couple of weeks preaching, guys. So I'm looking forward to meeting all of you. So all you guys that are there, keep coming back. But we were challenged with this. And when God first came and delivered this idea into our hearts with this opportunity to go 95 miles away and plant a church in North Platte, a community in which we don't have anybody living in North Platte driving to, North, driving to Kearney to come to church, we, we basically looked at one another and we said, seriously? And I purposefully said, seriously, God, do you know what timing this is right now? It was the week that we had launched the venue. The week we launched the venue, we are neck deep into a brand new thing, trying to figure out the tech to make it happen, get all the volunteers to make it happen, and what comes to our door? Don't, 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 don't. Hey, you want to plant a church in North Platte? Are you serious? Do you know what we're doing? At the, in the middle of all of that, we're still paying off a $2.6 million debt on a facility that we added on right here. We still have that debt hanging over us. And then, by the way, God, hey, hello, did you not realize that we've already created the budget for the year? Can't interrupt our budget. But God was challenging us. And he was saying, are you going to put my project first? Are you going to put the planting of North Platte first and myself, our staff, and our board? We all came together. We prayed about it, and we clearly made the decision. We believe this is God. We're going to put God's project ahead of our projects. You know what we started doing? Readjusting our finances. We started making way for this type of thing to happen. We started carving other things away, things that we had purposefully said, purposefully said yes to that still haven't happened yet because we reallocated those funds into this. We went, we got a building that's out there, and we instantly started taking over the maintenance of that building on January. Yeah, we didn't even launch services till September. We started paying the bills already. And God gave us all that we needed. He supplied us with everything that we needed to make this journey happen. It was like watching the flour end up back in the container and the oil end back up in the container. You know, we we were wondering what's going to happen now. And then boom, there's the money. We went and we hired a campus pastor and he got there, Dave and Tiffany, in June, which by the way, they're doing a fantastic job out there. Some great pastors out there. It's awesome. Those guys, they moved into the community in June, and we didn't launch services till September. 
You know, we sent crews out there to do all of the remodeling, um, and we invested tons of money. As you all know, remodeling is not cheap, and we did all of that before services ever happened. We did outreach before services ever—I mean, we were all in. We believed God commanded us, and we were following it, and we weren't going to go halfway. We were going to go all the way. And because of that, some serious life transformation has happened. There is an extreme amount of people that have come to know Jesus, and their lives have been radically transformed. I want you to watch this video that tells the story, but I want you to listen for the details of lives being transformed. Listen to this video. Twenty-four months ago, New Life Church was given the opportunity to plan a new location in the city of North Platte. After extensive prayer and consideration, the decision was made to take a step of faith as a church family and move in the direction of God's leading. Dave and Tiffany Cumming were brought on board to be campus pastors of this new location, and a plan for launching this new site was put into motion. Over the course of the next year, the collective faith of New Life Church would be stretched and grown like never before. After securing a building for the new location, teams from New Life began making the 95-mile trip from Kearney to North Platte to start preparing the building for the launch of the church on September 21, 2014. New Life banded together to pour time, energy, finances, and talents into seeing the building transform. The front of the building was given a facelift, while the auditorium and the lobby were completely remodeled. Walls were built, rooms were painted, and new lighting was installed. All of this was done to create an environment that would be attractive to the people of North Platte and the surrounding communities. After a long weekend spent working on the building, teams would head back home physically exhausted, yet spiritually refreshed. While the construction phase was taking place, a local launch team was assembled to begin making connections with people in the community. This group of people pulled off an intense season of outreach events. Working with teams from New Life Kearney, the launch team hosted multiple bounce events throughout the community, met regularly for prayer and worship, and did everything they could to announce to the community that a new church would soon be opening its doors. The launch date of September 21st soon arrived. God's faithfulness was on display that day as 119 people showed up for the very first service. This was followed a few weeks later with a grand opening ceremony and a block party in late October. 192 people showed up to commemorate that historical day. In 2015 alone, New Life North Platte has seen 16 people commit their lives to Christ and another 28 people recommit their lives to Christ. Since last September, we've seen 22 people get baptized. Over 50% of our adults and youth are involved in ministry and we have five healthy life groups meeting weekly. These numbers are an essential part of our story at New Life because every number represents someone's story and every story matters to God. The last year has been an incredible journey. A journey that began when a church said yes to God. A journey that began when a church was willing to collectively take a step of faith and go where God was leading them. Today is a day to celebrate what God has done over the last year. It's a day to reflect on what God has done in us and through us as a church. But most importantly, church, it's a day to realize that this is only the beginning. It's not about brick and mortar. It's not about trusting God with the finances. Although those were some of our lease that we had to trust God with. It's about the, the outcome. It's about what God's done in the lives of people. 
Guys, there's so many stories that could be shared from out there that they would just blow your mind away at what God has done, both faithfully here in growing our church, but also in what God's done there in growing that church, one life at a time. And I thought that on the heels of a video like that, and when we're talking about trusting God with our least, and you know, seeing God take our least and turn it into something that's a treasure and great, let's highlight one of those stories where one person went from being the least to being a treasure and being utilized by God in a powerful way. Let's hear a story from someone that is from North Platte. This person is part of our church, one of our very own, and a story that's worth celebrating and, and, and celebrating today. So why don't you welcome with me Jason Norman. I wasn't born into a Christian family or a Christian home. Uh, I remember going to church when I was a kid. Uh, I don't remember my parents ever going with us. Um, It wasn't until I was uh, 12 or 13 when my sister uh, was saved that I even know that there was such a thing. Uh, I barely even heard of Jesus before that. I was curious about that, and I talked to her about that, and she said it was really simple to just ask God, and and uh, everything would be fine. And so I tried that without really understanding. By that time, I was already drinking and doing drugs and a regular cigarette smoker, um, and and I thought that that was where I wanted my life to go. So I just continued down that path. When I turned 15... Uh, it was when I first tried meth, and I was instantly hooked. I, I, uh, I, I continued down that path for another few years. Uh, when I left my hometown to go to school, and a group of my friends were all arrested for manufacturing meth, and to me, I felt like I had outsmarted it, and I had... I had gotten out on time, and I was smarter than them, and I could continue living my lifestyle however I chose, and, and there would be no consequences, and that's exactly what I did. Uh, it, was, it was when I graduated from, from tech school, and I went back with my mom, who had been saved at that point, and we moved to Colorado, and we lived, uh, we lived above a church, in a little apartment above a church. And that's when I really listened to what the preacher was saying, and I listened to these words about Jesus, and I, and I was on board. Uh, I was a believer at that point. I just wasn't willing to give up that first place spot. Uh, my, my desires were more important. I just, I figured, well, Jesus, they say he died for our sins, so I could just probably just go on sinning. Uh, the price has already been paid. And so I, so I did. I just continued to live for myself. Moved back to my hometown and got really heavy into drinking for quite a few years. Uh, at that point, my mom had already moved back to, to Nebraska as well. And I was again, found myself living with her in my mid-20s. I continued drinking very heavily. My mom, at that point, I, I think, thought that she was enabling me by allowing me to live there. So she, uh, she gave me the boot. 
And I was very angry and very upset, and I always found a way to blame other people for my problems. Uh, it was, of course, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my drinking. It wasn't my drug use. It was, it was my mom not being compassionate enough, or it was this or that. So in order to reinforce my thinking, I went to my mom's pastor, and I, I figured I could get away with I could pull one over on someone there. So I walked in there into his office, and... I was still drunk from the night before, actually, and, and I, uh, I talked to that pastor, told him what was going on, and my mom had kicked me out, and I was homeless, and, and that I felt that she was turning her back on me, and I asked him, I said, uh, do you think Jesus would ever turn his back on me? And that man, with one word, said yes. I stood up, and I walked out of the room, and I didn't step in and into a church for years after that, many years after that. Um, before the next time I stepped into a church, I, something really great in my life happened. I met a woman named Megan. Megan had a, a one-year-old daughter, and she was an amazing person. She had it all together from what I could tell and from where I was. Uh, but for some reason, I still don't know why, she gave me a chance. And, and we got together, and things moved real quickly. Uh, it was within a year, and Megan was pregnant. So I moved to North Platte, and, and we started to kind of, I kind of started to get my things together. We were attending church every Sunday. Um, our son was born. Things were great. People would come to me uh, and praise me for the steps that I had taken and, and all these great things I had done in my life. But little did they know I had been, I'd been secretly continuing the lifestyle I had lived for years uh, I figured I'd been smoking, I'd been, I'd been using meth and, and doing drugs and drinking and, and doing all these crazy things for 15 years at this point. Uh, and I, I just thought I could get away with it and there would be no consequences. Um, so, so I did it behind her back and I did it in secret. But that only lasts for so long before, before she started to find out. Uh, I was unfaithful and she, and she found out and confronted me with it. And, and I, just, I just had to own up to it. And, and she, like my mom, she did the right thing and gave me the boot. And I was, then I was just on my own without my kids and without my girl. Uh, I moved into a friend's house just living in some musty basement. And without any responsibilities, I was only left to do more drugs. And that's exactly what I did. And continued to until it got out of my hands and I couldn't control it anymore. And I remember sitting in that basement uh, and I was by myself using drugs and my phone rang. And I had a meth pipe in this hand and I answered my phone with this hand and it was some, I don't know who it was, some random guy who said, hey, I'm op- we're opening a church here in town. And uh, I got, your, got a hold of your name, and I wanted to know if maybe you would want to come to this barbecue. We want to introduce ourselves uh, and, and talk to you about the church. Really? <laughs> uh, okay. I said, sure, I'll be there. And I hung up and threw the phone and figured I'd never hear or see that guy again, whatever. Um, and just went on to using my drugs. It was, I'd say it was a couple weeks after that that my drug use had gotten out of out of hand, out of my control, and um, I had lost 
I've gone through three jobs in six months' time, and I was, I was, I was without a job, and, and I, was at my, I was at the end of my rope. I couldn't take it anymore, and I just, the only thing I could think to do was to just end my suffering and, and anybody else's that I might be dragging along with me. So I, did, I attempted suicide, and by the grace of God, I, I was stopped right at the last minute. I was sent to uh, the psych ward at the hospital for a few weeks, and that's when I decided that I was better than what I had become, and I was stronger than that. I was allowed to detox from the drugs, and I just decided right then and there that by my own willpower, I wasn't going to use drugs anymore. Uh, I was going to try to do better by my family. And it was two, two days after I had gotten out of the middle ward of the hospital that I called my drug dealer. And uh, that's what us drug addicts do. And I asked him to meet me up at Cody Park. We'd maybe hang out. Who knows? So I sat there at Cody Park for half an hour. Uh, No show. He didn't show. I tried to call him. He didn't answer the phone. But I looked around, and I noticed some commotion going on in the park. And there were bounce houses, and there were kids running and screaming and playing, and it looked like an amazing time. And I'm really nosy, so I decided to walk over to the event that was going on, and, and I met this woman, and she said, well, we're opening a church here in a couple of weeks. Um, and I thought, I think the pastor called me here just couple of months back and she pointed him out and she said well he's right over there and I walk over and and I introduce myself but before I could even say my name this guy says are you Jason and I'll never forget that this guy remembered my name after all these all this time uh and he explained to me a little bit more about the church and and I told him I'll be there I can't wait my my girlfriend that we'd reunited uh reconnected with and my kids will be there for sure. Three days after that meeting at Cody Park, I was arrested um, for crimes that I had committed months before, and I was sentenced to 60 days in jail, and I missed that. I missed that opening uh, of New Life in North Platte. And in my jail cell, I couldn't think of anything else to do, so I took the advice of my older brother who told me to just read your Bible. So I did. I struggled through most of it, but I read it, and I read it, and one thing I got out of it was that I was doing things all wrong. I was just trying to do it by my power, uh, and I'm just not that powerful. Uh, So right then and there in that jail cell, I linked over my bed and put my knees on that concrete floor, And I asked Jesus to forgive me, first of all, for the things that I had put myself and my family through. And I asked him to come into my heart and change it and make me a new person. And I felt instantly that he had done so. And I was the happiest person uh, that jail had probably ever seen. Uh, I got out of jail and I went back home to Megan and she took me back for some reason. It took a lot, of, a lot of work, but we worked through our problems. And I finally made it to that church and, and got to know that pastor. And that pastor is Pastor Dave, who isn't just my pastor. He's become my best friend. He 
baptized me. He married Megan and I twice. Um, and, and things have just been better. Uh, my, my, my marriage is amazing. And Megan and I are very happy. Uh, my kids couldn't be happier with the church. Um, I've met some amazing guys. My, my men's group that I attend on Tuesday nights, those guys challenge me and stretch me and hold me accountable, um, which, which draws me closer to God. Megan and I attend a life group together on Mondays. Uh, we're both involved in ministry at the church. Um, and we, we have put ourselves second. And we have put God first. And, and that, that, that pastor who told me that uh, Jesus would turn his back on me, I don't hold any grudges. But I will say that he never, God never turns his back on you or any of us. Uh, I turned my back on him. And he was just waiting for me to come home. And my name is Jason Norman, and I am second. Dude. Proud of you. Proud of you. Proud of you. Come on, let's, um, let's continue to stand. Just stay standing in all of the locations. Just continue to stay standing. I want us to give a, an appreciation with applause and with praise to a God who takes things that were once dead the least and turns them into life the best. Let's praise him today. Come on. God, there's none like you. There's no one like you, Jesus. I praise you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Amen. Stay standing, please. Stay standing in all of our locations. You have a choice today. What are you going to do with your least? Are you going to let God take your least, which might seem dead and, you know, might seem minuscule and insignificant, and let him bring it to life and do something fantastic with it? I pray that you do. I pray you have the same response that the woman did in our story. Here's the words that she has to say about it. She goes, then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure, this is after her son dies and is brought back to life. She experiences and sees death brought back to life. The least put into purpose again, turned into a treasure. Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. The Lord. She had put her hope and her faith in the Lord. See, that's what I want you to do today. That's what God's word is saying to us today. Don't let your lease just sit there and go unused. Put it into, put it into practice and let God begin to use it. And today our worship teams are going to come while I pray. And I want you to consider what's your response to God today in the midst of your lease that God wants to turn into a great treasure. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're in the, that you, that, Lord, you're continuing to transform and change lives. Lord, in Kearney and in North Platte. Lord, you're doing it down in the venue here in our main auditorium, in our 9 o'clock, in our 10 o'clock, um, down in North Platte. Lord, you're meeting people at, at, at the work. You're meeting people in life groups that meet in homes. You're meeting people as they're digging into your word more. You're meeting people while they're walking, even through restaurants, and you're speaking to them. God, I'm getting stories from people all over the place of where you're meeting them. That you don't just meet with people in this structure called the church. We are the church because the spirit of the living God is in us. And Lord, you're wanting us to take 
You want us to take the power of Jesus to a dark and dying world. Sometimes, God, we think, well, what difference does my life make? I mean, how much difference can one man make? How much difference can one widow make? She ends up in the Bible forever to be preached about, talked about, and looked at as a perfect model to help us understand how our least that we devalued and that we thought was nothing, the things that we've held tight to because we couldn't just give them up, that when we give them to you, you seem to do something miraculous, like the little boy with his five pieces of bread and his two fish. God, use this congregation, the insignificance of it. Use the simple in it. God, use the things that we've devalued and raise them up and do something powerful and great that your kingdom would advance and that people would know you throughout this region in which you've allowed us and you've commanded us to plant these churches. May life continue in Jesus' name. Let's worship him. Amen. Hi, we want to thank you for worshiping with us here today at New Life Online. We hope you're being blessed um, by our current teaching series, I Am Second. Um, We would love to hear from you, uh, hear your story on what God is doing in your life. We'd also like to pray with you. If you have a prayer request, feel free to uh, find us at mynewlifechurch.com and email us um, so we know how to pray for you. If you're ever in the uh, North Platte or Kearney area, we'd love for you to stop by and see us. But if not, we look forward to seeing you right here next week at My New Life Church online.